Good morning, my name is Micah. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. It starts on page 751 in your pew Bibles. Our focus here at the pulpit for the next three weeks is going to be on the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most recurring themes in the Bible. Starting in the book of Genesis, as soon as sin entered the world, forgiveness, it became a necessity. And the stories of forgiveness throughout the Old and New Testament are so numerous that you simply cannot claim to be a Christian without also accepting and embracing the fact that forgiveness is at the foundation of our faith. So today we're going to look at God's forgiveness toward us. Next week, Rick plans to uh, speak on our response to God's forgiveness. And then following that, Doug will plan to address our call to forgiveness. That's what's in store for you here for these next three weeks. God's forgiveness toward us, our response to God's forgiveness, and our call to forgiveness. Today we'll look at God's forgiveness in the life of Hosea, but let's pray before we begin. Lord God, thank you for the blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thank you for this foreign concept of forgiveness that you make central to your word uh, because it is a part of who you are. Help us to see your glory, your power, your love, your mercy as we look at your forgiveness today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The prophet Hosea, he lived during a time of rampant immorality among the people of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. Is there, should I turn off one of these side mics? Is that where the feedback's coming from? <laughs> um, his story takes place around 750 B.C., Israel had just come out of a a period of great peace and prosperity. They had expanded their borders. They had enjoyed huge harvests. This was during one of the most prosperous times in Israel's history since the days of King Solomon 200 years earlier. And this prosperity led to really tragic levels of moral decay, which resulted in the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel just 30 years after this, in the year 722 B.C. But during these prosperous years in which Hosea lived, Israel increasingly shifted their worship to the false god of the Canaanites. Their god was called Baal. Baal was thought to be the god of weather and fertility. Baal was the one that they came to depend upon to provide rain for a fertile harvest. The Israelites, they would still give lip service to their God. They would still celebrate their religious festivals, but their hearts were drawn to the false God, Baal. Because Baal worship offered instant gratification. It was a religion that promoted the most disgusting behavior, drunkenness, sexual immorality, prostitution. They were looked at as good things, things that would entice the god Baal, turn him on, get him to rain down his fertility upon the earth. So because of this, adultery was rampant. 
Temple prostitution was seen as a legitimate profession. It's a pretty appealing religion if you think about it. Get drunk, have lots of illicit sex, and while doing so, you're actually pleasing your God that you profess to worship. That was the state of the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century B.C. But in the eyes of our holy God, it was filthy. It was disgusting. And it was adulterous. Not just adulterous in the physical sense of men and women actually committing adultery, but also adulterous in the spiritual sense. God was the spiritual husband of his people, Israel. They were to be his faithful bride, pure, submissive. But instead they played the role of the most dirty, untrustworthy, lying, cheating, immoral wife a person could ever imagine. So in the midst of this time period, God commanded the prophet Hosea in Hosea 1 verse 2. He says to him, go take your wife, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Those are harsh words. God commands his prophet to marry a woman who he knows will be unfaithful. So Hosea does. He marries a woman named Gomer. And Gomer bears him three children. And during these early years of their marriage, she falls into a lifestyle that is so lewd and adulterous that she she either abandons her husband and her children or else she's forced to leave due to her unfaithfulness. Think about this for a minute. God commanded his servant, a godly man, to take a bride who would be absolutely filthy, who would break his heart, break his children's hearts, and would also cause the people to give Hosea zero respect. Here comes Hosea. Don't say anything about his wife staying at my house last night. There he goes. What kind of an idiot would marry Gomer? That was the life of Hosea. God commanded this to show his people what they had done to him. In the second chapter of Hosea, we see the total despair of a husband who could not be more humiliated and hurt as his wife had enslaved herself to a lifestyle of passion and promiscuity to anybody who would have her other than her own husband. Hosea is forced to forsake his wife just as God was forced to forsake his people. But the crazy part about this is the motive for forsaking his people was his love. Not revenge, not an attitude of, you are disgusting, get out of my life. But rather out of love, a love that will forgive anything. In Hosea 2 verses 19 and 20, right after saying that God God is saying he would punish Israel for her unfaithfulness, God then promises to make a new covenant with his unfaithful bride, Israel. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. God said this to his people, who just like Gomer, were as immoral and unfaithful as you could possibly be. A people so undeserving 
of his forgiveness. Yet he had chosen to love them and forgive them. Which brings us to the third chapter of Hosea, which is where we're going to read from today. So let's read Hosea chapter 3 together, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lefek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. In this passage... In these short five verses, we see the fantastic forgiveness of God demonstrated by Hosea in four different ways. We see the willingness to forgive, the cost of forgiveness, the promise of forgiveness, and the goal of forgiveness. The willingness, the cost, the promise, the goal of forgiveness we see here in this passage Starting in verse 1, the willingness to forgive. God said to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Can you imagine the humiliation and the humility required to carry this out? Go again. I know you've forgiven her before, Hosea. Go again. Love the very person who has destroyed your life, abandoned your children, and caused you to become the laughingstock of all the people. Go again. Love her. Love the one who offers her love to everyone but you. Love the one who is completely unlovable. Hosea could have said, no, I can't possibly forgive that woman. But he didn't. He was actually willing to forgive her. The Hebrew word for love used here in this verse, it implies more than just an obedient love. It's an affectionate love. God commanded Hosea to not just forgive his wife on a begrudging level, but to be affectionate, to show her mercy and compassion, because that's the love that God has for his people. In spite of their unfaithfulness, in spite of our unfaithfulness, Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, the end of verse 1 says. Cakes of raisins were used as an aphrodisiac during their sexual acts of Baal worship. These people turn to other gods, they're lovers of their own passion, and yet the Lord God loves them and is willing to forgive them. Next we see the cost of forgiveness in verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lefek of barley. 
Hosea didn't simply take his wife back. He sought her out and he bought her. Gomer had so destroyed her life, she had burnt every bridge imaginable. She was a pathetic woman. In her mind, she could never go back to her husband because what husband in his right mind would ever take her back? Her lovers had had their fun with her and they left her cheapened and unwanted. And now she found herself enslaved, either as a temple prostitute or as someone else's personal concubine, their sex slave. Someone to use, no love, just a clear understanding that she is nothing more than a piece of property. No respect, because she didn't deserve any. And Hosea bought her. He purchased his estranged wife. The price to buy a slave was 30 shekels of silver. It's the same price that Judas betrayed Jesus for. Hosea paid this equivalent price, paying half the price in silver and the other half in what amounted to nine bushels of barley. It's like showing up at the jailhouse here at Tazewell County to bail out your spouse after they were arrested for public drunkenness and fornication with somebody else. And instead of paying the total bail amount in cash, you only have enough cash to pay half the price. So you pay half the cost in cash, and then you drag in nine buckets of quarters to pay the rest. That's kind of the equivalent of how Hosea purchased his wife's freedom. That was the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness always bears the cost. Because when a wrong has been committed, there is a cost. Someone has to pay it. Either the offender pays the cost in the repercussions for their actions, or the forgiver pays the cost by taking the loss upon himself. Hosea paid the cost, a huge cost to forgive Gomer. It cost him a lot of money. It cost him inexplicable heartbreak and humiliation. That's the cost of forgiveness. I can't fathom how difficult it would have been. Imagine the humiliation of Hosea showing his face in public and buying back his wife who had been so unfaithful. Imagine the slave owner saying, her? You sure you want to buy her? Having no idea that she was his wife. Think of Hosea's emotions, seeing his wife for sale. Memories of his bride, whom he vowed to love on their wedding day, mixed with the most searing pain and anger and frustration over how she destroyed his life and his children's lives. Imagine the emotions of Gomer, hopeless. She's now resolved herself to a life of bondage and abuse. Once the transaction was complete, Gomer would have been brought out naked for her buyer to take her, and she would have fully expected to be abused. It's what she'd gotten used to. But instead, she's brought out before her husband. 
And Hosea covers her with his garment and speaks kindly to her. That was the cost of forgiveness. In the next couple of verses, we see the promise of forgiveness. Starting in verse 3, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. You shall not play the whore. I can't imagine a person having to say that to their spouse. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. That's his promise. He offers Gomer his promise. So will I also be to you. He could have said, you know what, Gomer? Now it's my turn to make you suffer. He could have said, I forgive you, but I will never forget But instead, he gave her his promise of forgiveness. Hosea treats her with respect. You must dwell as mine, he said. Not out in the barn, but as husband and wife. This is the beginning of a necessary time of healing, of discipline. A time of helping Gomer to build new habits before intimacy could take place again. It's discipline based not upon revenge, but upon forgiveness. You are my wife. You are no longer a slave. I bought you out of slavery. And I'm going to help you realize this and live like this. Sounds a lot like Jesus and how he treats us. Verse 4, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Just as Hosea helped Gomer to build new habits, so God would help Israel to build new habits by depriving them of things that are both good and bad. They would soon be without a king and a means for sacrifice and a priesthood Those are good things taken away. They would also be deprived of sinful things. No more pillar, which was a monument connected with Baal worship. No more household gods. These false gods would soon be purged from Israel's culture during their time in captivity. And there's a reason for this discipline, which brings us to the goal of forgiveness. Verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Afterward, after the time of discipline, intimacy will be restored. And the goal of this forgiveness, it's seen in three key words here in verse 5. Return, seek, Fear. That's the goal of God's forgiveness. Hosea's goal was for Gomer to return her heart to him. For her to seek her meaning, her identity, her true love in the confines of her marriage with her husband. And for her to fear 
not as she feared her abusive lovers, but to fear as one fears a good and powerful authority, to be in awe of the love and forgiveness that has been shown to her, to return, to seek, to fear. In other words, a restored relationship. That's God's goal for his people. In this verse, we see that God will accomplish his goal. They will, Israel will return. They will seek their God and David their king, which is a reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Israel will seek Jesus, their king, and they shall come in fear, in awe, because just as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 130, he said, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And this will happen, the end of verse 5 says, in the latter days. That's the love and forgiveness that God had Hosea display for all of Israel to see. Hosea was willing to love and forgive a completely unlovable woman. Hosea bore the cost of forgiveness by humbling himself and purchasing Gomer out of her slavery bringing her back home as his wife. He made her a promise of forgiveness. And the goal of his forgiveness was to have a restored relationship, to change a hopeless and dirty woman into his pure bride and to show her true and meaningful intimacy. The reason God had Hosea do this for Gomer is to demonstrate the fantastic forgiveness that he gives to us. I want to make two observations from this passage. The first is for those of us in here who think that we have it all together. You know, we're decent people. We're not like Gomer. We don't cheat on our spouse. We don't cheat on our taxes. We don't cheat in school. We don't cheat our boss. We're good people. We're easy to forgive. We deserve God's forgiveness, right? Wrong. No one deserves God's forgiveness. I don't care how good of a person you may be. In the eyes of holy God, you are no different than Gomer. Paul tells us in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. Just like Gomer. Gomer had nothing to offer Hosea. Nothing to make it worth his while to forgive her. She was not lovable. You and I have nothing to offer God. And we're quick to say, we're not like Gomer. She was terrible. We're much better people than that. That's relative righteousness. I'm not as bad as that guy, so therefore I'm pretty good. God does not operate on a relative scale. His righteousness is absolute. None is righteous, Paul said. No, not one. That's a hard thing to accept, but it's the truth. 
And we live in a society where most churches refuse to even teach this. The average church today focuses more on making much of you than it does making much of God. Come in through the doors, hear a feel-good message about how much God loves you, and go home believing you're a good person. The problem with this is that when people only hear of the love of God without being taught about their sin and their desperate need for forgiveness, God's love becomes meaningless. Of course God loves me. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm lovable. I'm easy to forgive. I deserve his forgiveness. Before long, we actually start to think so highly of ourselves that we view God as the one who needs forgiveness. We're the victim. God is the one in the wrong. He's the one who allowed bad things to happen to me. How dare God? Maybe someday I'll find it in my heart to forgive him. God does not need forgiveness. You do. And I do. God is holy. You are not. God is perfect. You and I are not. God is righteous. You and I are not. God is always good. You and I are not. God is patient. You and I are not. God is the perfect version of Hosea. You and I are the present day version of Gomer. We do not deserve his forgiveness. The more we realize this, the more we are brought to our knees in repentance, and the more we are filled with joy over the truth that God does forgive us. Which brings me to my second point. And this point is for those of you who have become so burdened by your failure. You felt the guilt and the pain of terrible decisions that you've made. And you think there's no way God could ever forgive me. I've hurt too many people. I can't even forgive myself. How could God ever forgive me? You don't have the authority to forgive yourself. But God does. And God willingly forgives. You say, but I don't deserve his forgiveness. Yeah, you're right. I know. That was my first point. Gomer didn't deserve Hosea's forgiveness. Hosea didn't forgive Gomer because she was so easy to forgive. She was completely unlovable. But Hosea loved her and forgave her in spite of who she was. Because that is how God loves and forgives you and me. In fact, God is not just willing to forgive. He wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you. In Hosea 2, verse 14, just before the passage that we looked at today, God said, I will allure her. 
speaking to Israel. He will entice his people to him because God in his love wants to forgive you. He seeks the sinner, just as Hosea sought out Gomer. Jesus, in Matthew 18, he spoke of the man who would leave his 99 sheep who are safe in order to go after the one sheep who had gone astray. When that one sheep is brought back into the fold, he rejoices. I can't imagine Hosea rejoicing over taking Gomer back. It's equally perplexing to think that God wants us. He purchased our forgiveness because he loves us. God shows his love for us, Romans 5 says, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as Hosea paid the cost to purchase Gomer's forgiveness, so Jesus paid the cost to purchase our forgiveness and bring us back into a right relationship with our creator, with our spiritual husband. Hosea paid the equivalent of the standard slave price to redeem a wife who did not deserve it. But Jesus paid an insurmountable price to permanently redeem you and me. First Peter 1 says you were ransomed, paid for, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were bought. Our forgiveness was purchased by our God who willingly forgives. He paid it all to forgive us. Please stand and sing with us as we sing this closing song, Jesus Paid It All.
said the ultimate question is not who are you but whose are you it's not who are you but whose are you you see you and I are Gomer that's who we are but whose we are is what matters because outside of the fantastic forgiveness of a savior you are Gomer the unlovable enslaved in your sin for those of us who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, we are Gomer, the forgiven, redeemed, restored bride of our Savior. Jesus bought us in the most amazing act of forgiveness that the world has ever known when he was willingly crucified on our behalf. And he disciplines us because like Gomer, we are still prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And the goal of his forgiveness is intimacy, a restored relationship with the God of the universe. If you don't know Jesus, you're separated from the God who created you, just like Gomer was separated from Hosea. Let God pay the cost of your forgiveness. Surrender your life to Jesus, and he will forgive you and change you from Gomer the unlovable to Gomer the forgiven, spotless bride of our Savior. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for your forgiveness. Without it, we have no hope. We have no meaning. We have no value. We are just enslaved in our hopelessness. But you came, you sought us out to willingly forgive. You paid the cost of our forgiveness. You give us the greatest promise ever 
that we are forgiven. And your goal is kindness, mercy, tenderness, compassion, intimacy with us. Thank you. Father, for those who do not know you, I ask that you would draw them to you. Help them to stop trying to make much of themselves and to see that only you are worth making much of. We love you as we continue on in this series. I ask that you would help us not just to be touched by your forgiveness, but to also see where we need to respond, how we need to forgive. Help us to be open and humble, we pray, throughout this, for, this series on forgiveness. We pray this in your son's name.